This is Laura from the Peaceful Life Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 142, Man on Fire Movie Review. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek and at C McBrien for me. And popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information as well. Derek, how are you, my friend? And what's going on in pop culture in your world? Hey, Chris, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, this week in pop culture, I had a chance to watch the three part AMC series called Quiz. Do you know anything about this? Not a thing. Have you seen previews? Nothing. Nope. Okay. So it's uh, it's a British series and it's the um, retelling of the story of a gentleman who went on the original Who Wants to Be a Millionaire game show in 2001 and was accused of cheating to win the million bucks. The, the premise was that people in the audience that he knew would cough when the correct answer was, was said out loud so that he would mm-hmm. know what the answer was. And... So it's, uh, you know, you think, okay, well, why do I need three plus hours to get to that? Well, mm-hmm. it's framed around the trial because basically the the studio refused to pay him. That once they realized that, that there could have been cheating involved and they, they had him arrested, they, they returned all of this stuff over to the police and said, we think there's a criminal conspiracy to steal a million pounds and, uh, we want these people charged. We're not paying them a cent. And so the, the story unfolds that way. And you find out that the, um, the gentleman that won the money was a, uh, uh, I think it was a major in the British military. So he had, uh, you know, he had, he had a strong character and he, w- he and his wife were both like big trivia buffs. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like they basically, it shows how the, the guy's brother-in-law was on the show four times before he actually got into the seat and earned some money. Then his wife went on the show, she got in the seat and earned some money. And then he got on the show and he ended up winning the million pounds. And they're like, Okay, something's up here. But then they show you behind the scenes about how in the infancy of the Internet, there were people who who all liked quiz shows who would get together and help each other um, get on the show because that was their hobby. So it's framed in such a way that there's almost the presumption of guilt. But as the story proceeds, they definitely make an, an effort to try and paint the other side of it to say, like, well, yeah, it might look like he was guilty when you sensationalize it a certain way, but there's enough evidence on the other side that you have to ask yourself, do you think he really did it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Like, I, th- I think they still at the end of the show basically conclude that, well, I mean, obviously they went to court and they didn't, they didn't end up paying him. They charged him. He's, you know, they got a criminal, uh, uh sorry, ruin it for people who haven't seen it yet, but it, <laughs> Hey, it's real. It's real life that happened 20 years ago. Spoiler on, alert. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, it was interesting. And one of the things I didn't realize was because I had sort of heard about it uh, in passing when it happened. Okay. Um, it happened <clears throat> right before September 11th, 2001. So basically he won the money, I think, on the Monday. And then that or I think 2011 was a Tuesday or was it a Thursday. Anyway, whatever. It was a Tuesday. It was. Yep. What's that? It was a Tuesday. Yeah, I thought it was a Tuesday. Yep. So basically it's like he won the money on Monday mm-hmm. and then all of this stuff happened on like 
you know, the, the, the attacks happened on Tuesday. So it, it was not the top of the news cycle uh, that this guy possibly cheated on a quiz show. So it, it was interesting to sort of have that backdrop thrown into this this escapade. It was it was good. And it stars um, uh, Matthew McFadden who is uh, one of the uh, characters on the TV show Succession, which I really enjoy on HBO. And uh, his wife is played by Sean Clifford, who is um, – she's on the – oh, what's that one with Phoebe Waller-Bridge where um, – sorry, i got to click through on her IMDb. I can't remember the movie uh, – the show, but uh, Fleabag, sorry. She's the sister on Fleabag. So the, the two leads were both people that I know from other shows that I that I like. So that that certainly helped. But yeah, it was quite good. It's called Quiz. It was on AMC. It should be available now on demand. It's uh, three episodes with commercials. Uh, it ran, I think, episode each one was about an hour and 15, hour and 10. But I think uh, if you're fast forwarding or cutting out the ads, it's probably about uh, one hour per episode. But it was it was quite good. It's worth mm-hmm. watching, even though you sort of know where it's going. Mm-hmm. It's like Apollo 13. Well, I know what happens with the astronauts, but mm-hmm. it's still a fun ride. This is the same kind of thing where, yeah, you might know the outcome or think you know the outcome, but uh, there's a lot of other uh, lot of other things going on. So. <clears throat> so a guy goes on who wants to be a millionaire and they accuse him of cheating. You know what? I really liked it the first time I saw it when it was called Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think part of I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the writers of Slumdog Millionaire sort of leaned on that for inspiration. But who knows? So I have some pop culture news for you. My my wife my wife was away today, so I was home with my uh, with my son, my eleven year old son. And for the first time, because she was gone, she didn't really really want me to do this. So for the first time, we watched Jaws tonight together. Uh, that's both good parenting and bad parenting. <laughs> I know because I remember Jaws being fairly. Uh, horrific the first time i saw it and and i would have been a few years older than he was so i was seven when i first saw jaws my talk about bad parenting i hope my mom isn't listening my mother took me to the drive-in to see jaws when i was seven and i was terrified like when that when the when the shark bites the guy on the boat and his leg hits the bottom of the ocean i just turned around and said i want to go home i want to go home i want to go home i don't like this anymore (laughs) i was so scared um but anyway so my son's 11 he handles these kind of movies real real well uh so he absolutely loved it and even i was watching him for the reaction when ben gardner's head comes out of the boat yeah and he's fine he actually kind of chuckled he's like oh man that's silly (laughs) <laughs> like, okay, okay good 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 we're on a roll here we're gonna be fine and then when quint died like i was even a lot of things like i haven't seen the movie in a while so whoa, whoa, whoa. quint died spoiler alert. i know and and when he did even i was like i was just a bit taken back by that scene and i've seen the movie a bazillion times and i was still wincing a bit when when quint you know when it bites him and i was like oh it's just such a horrific show well so well done right and he was fine and it, it gets done and he's like you know what daddy quint I think I feel like Quint needed to die. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you know, he fought the shark and he he had to lose. And I was like, wow. Anyway, he really liked the movie. He thought it was great. I'm going to be in a little bit of trouble. But sometimes, you know, uh, like when my wife gets home, she's going to be mad at me. Right. But sometimes it's easier to beg forgiveness than it is to ask permission. So, you know, sorry, did you say you watched that today, Chris? Yes. So he hasn't had a chance to do an overnight sleep. Maybe he'll wake up in the middle of the night screaming that the shark's going to get him. So exactly. we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this in, on our next show and we'll see how he actually. We may it. we may revisit on uh, during our recording because he's upstairs in bed sleeping right now as I'm in downstairs in the <laughs> studio. So we may get a knock on the door at some point here in the studio. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm an old Gen X guy and that makes me an embarrassing dad to my kids. So here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, why does Snoop Dogg carry an umbrella? 
I have no idea. Faux drizzle. I swear we're going to lose listeners if we keep <laughs> bad jokes. I was the only man left on the planet after the Holocaust, eh? Because you're probably drunk. That's why I just spent all my time looking for beer. Save me one of those beers. No way, eh? Experience and maturity. I got to take a leak so bad I can taste it. I don't know how they got him to do it. You drive. There's a lot of cops around. It was a different time. No, no, I've had had enough beer. Some of the things from the early 80s, it's it's hard to relate to them now. Oh, come on. That's some funny (laughs) right there. Okay, so this week we it was, the movie was over to you. Uh, your turn to pick a, a newer film. I, I pick nothing past 1989, as you know. That's your territory. Uh, so you nominated the 2004 Denzel Washington film, Man on Fire. Uh, so I'll let you start things off. You can kind of just talk a little bit about the film. We'll do a deep dive into it, as we always do. But maybe just a few uh, points on why you wanted me to watch this particular film. Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned at the uh, at the end of the last episode when I nominated this film was um, Tony Scott is one of my all time favorite directors, as I spoke about when we did our best uh, director show a few weeks ago. Um, He has an outstanding resume. And I think Man on Fire is one of those movies that once people find it, they love it. And it, but it doesn't, it didn't necessarily do, um, a tremendous amount of money in the box office, but it does replay on cable a lot, like a ridiculous amount of times. So again, once people are aware of it, I think you're going to notice it show up in your lineup more frequently than you might've ever imagined. And with that in mind, I've, I've seen the movie at least a dozen times. And when I rewatched it last week, it was every bit as good as uh, to me as it was the first time around. I loved it. Um, You've got this stellar cast um, led by Denzel Washington. So Denzel Washington and Tony Scott um, worked together five times over the course of Tony Scott's career. Uh, They did Crimson Tide in 1995 was their first collaboration. And then, uh, you know, it was almost 10 years later, 2004 Man on Fire was their next uh, their next movie together. Then they did Deja Vu 2006, which wasn't great, but it was okay. Taking of Pelham 123 remake in 2009, which was quite good. And then Unstoppable in 2010, which was Tony Scott's last film, which was excellent. And I think at a show a little down the road, we may have to watch uh, Unstoppable because it's it's quite good as well. But uh, I think Man on Fire, in my mind, Man on Fire was their most successful collaboration um, for broad strokes for those who maybe haven't seen it at all or haven't seen it in a while. The um, character of Denzel Washington is a career military man who uh, has left the military and is doing independent work. Uh, you find out through the course of uh, very like very early in the movie that he has um, a drinking problem that is um, rooted in mental illness. He's clearly got post-traumatic stress disorder uh, as well as other probably, uh, um, you know, mental struggles that he that have resulted from his his life as a soldier and he numbs the pain with alcohol like in a ridiculous way um and then you uh cut to a wealthy family in mexico where the uh the father's a mexican businessman the wife is uh is an uh, an american woman they have a child uh played by dakota fanning and um uh the movie begins with like uh, uh, not subtitles, but there's like a text on the screen where it talks about, you know, in Mexico City, 
Um, there is a lot of kidnapping that happens and most important business people have like kidnap and ransom insurance and it's a X number of million or billion dollar industry. And so people have bodyguards and, and that sort of sets up the movie where this, this family is, uh, financially suffering a little bit and they need a bodyguard to renew their insurance policy and all they can afford is Denzel Washington because he's, you know, he's a little damaged, but he's good enough to do the job. And so that sets up the first sort of 10 minutes of the movie. They bring him on as uh, as a bodyguard for the daughter and um, and then things go from there. And I mean, as you might expect, partway through the movie, the daughter eventually gets kidnapped and Denzel Washington has to go to work. But uh, it's not your typical like uh, Denzel Washington movie, like The Equalizer, where it's like just, a, you know, hey, bang, bang, shoot him up by the numbers. It's it's very gritty. It's very it's it's very emotional. You really get the sense in the first half of the movie, the, the struggles this character is feeling, um, the the anguish he's feeling from uh, from his his PTSD, the, the the fact that he needs to drown out his his problems with alcohol. But then there's the relationship he develops with this little girl that sort of she shows him, you know, the, the sort of cliche. She shows him how to love again kind of thing. And it gives him a reason to clean up his act and, and become a better person and start to turn his life around. And then, of course, when she gets kidnapped, it's devastating. And and he's like, OK, I'm going to work. And then the, the last, you know, the, the the last half of the movie is a revenge film where he gets down and dirty and man, oh, man, action, action, action. So anyway, with that, Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on this movie. Uh, this isn't really like any of the ones I've recommended before. Uh, it's also maybe not as financially successful as a lot of the movies I've recommended before. So I, I really don't know which way you're going to swing on this one, but uh, let's uh, let's hear it. What'd you think? <clears throat> well, let's get into it. Uh, so you mentioned, yeah, it wasn't financially successful. It finished 34th at the box office the year it came out in 2004, just, just behind Alien versus Predator. Alien versus Predator just beat it. So it wasn't a huge hit. Um, it wasn't a bomb or anything like that either. Um, a couple things about it. So the movie is long. I mean, really yes. long. It's two and a half, half two hours, hours and 30 yeah. minutes or something. Yeah. Okay. So it's long. It came out after 1989. So we all know how this plays out. I'm going to hate it. Right? Wrong. I actually liked it. I was really hoping we'd have a winner here. I'm glad to hear it. I actually enjoyed this movie somewhat. It's flawed for sure, uh, but it was oh, it was good. Uh, like I said, it was long. In fact, I think it was too long. I think it was yeah. way too long. If they, if they would have made this movie an hour shorter, I know that sounds like a lot, but if they would have made this movie an hour shorter, it would have been a lot better. I think way more action, quicker pace. It would just cut right to the chase. Um, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. There was parts of it that I that I really liked. <clears throat> like I said, it's flawed. We'll get into it. And the thing is, though, I kept thinking as I'm watching this movie, and I was kind of enjoying it. And I was waiting, you know, uh, they were setting up the next scenes pretty well. And I thought, okay, they're setting up. They set up the final act really good. The final act goes on way too long, but they set yeah, it up good. Um, the thing that I kept thinking about as I'm watching it, because as I always do with these movies that you give me, I still felt like it's not really rewatchable. It's not a movie I would go back and watch over again, probably because it's so long. But I don't know. I just, I get that. I just keep getting that with, with newer films. I just don't feel that they're rewatchable. My Gen X movies, I can watch a million times. Um, so the movie opens up, like you said, there's a, the, the text, like it's like one kidnapping happens like every 60 seconds in Latin America and 70% do not survive. So you're like, okay, this is not going to go well. And there, it, the movie opens up with this shot of a busy street in a big city and the couple's walking along and the guy gets abducted. 
and it's right from the get-go, you know, it's really stylistic. It, yes. Lots of freeze frames, quick pans and zooms and strobing. So it's, it's a very stylistic film. And it's like that through the whole movie. Yeah. Like it has a definite style going back to, uh, you know, Tony Scott, you know, one of your favorite directors. Right. But he definitely is very stylistic with it. So like you mentioned, Denzel Washington. So he, he he's in a cabin. I think it was in, was it in El Paso. Is that where he was or wherever he was? Uh, well, I mean, I think he begins in the U.S. and then you see him crossing the border. So, yeah, yeah. I would guess probably El Paso. That sounds right. And he's he's driving around looking at the crime and the, the prostitution and the gang violence. And like you said, he's drinking from a flask. Uh, later, we see him reading from a Bible. It seemed to me those were just put in to try to add some character depth. They're not really needed or important to the story at all, really. But um, then he meets up with Christopher Walken, who I love in anything. I mean, that could yeah. be in anything. He's, he's, he's worked with Tony Scott in a few of his other films as well. So he's 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 got a few little bit parts here and there in other movies. So, yeah, I, it would, didn't surprise me to see him show up in this the first time. Oh, he's so good. And he says, I live like a king. He's got the big house and the swimming pools or the girls in bikinis. I'm not sure that they even mention what he does or what he did to get his money. They it's uh, they they talk about it sort of in a roundabout way. It, it seems that he is a um, bodyguard broker because he talks about how his his men are protecting a Japanese conglomerate, someone or other in Mexico City. And that's how. Um, uh, Denzel Washington's character Creasy through Christopher Walken uh, uh, gets the job. So it seems that the Ramos family has reached out. Christopher Walken being a broker who puts bodyguards in place has reached out to his friend Creasy to basically say, look, I know you're qualified for this job, but you're not as good as you used to be because of the drinking, among other things. And they're you're the best they can afford. So that that um that's basically what his role is. He's he's uh, retired military because they talk about having a shared past. So you assume that uh, Christopher Walken was a military man at some point and has retired now and has has parlayed those skills and those contacts into uh, into a more legit style business. And then later in the movie, when Denzel Washington's like, I need weapons and stuff. Yeah, again, that that's why Christopher Walken's able to put him in touch with certain people. Cause as as someone who arms bodyguards, you would know the people that that sell and deal with those kinds of heavy artillery and military weapons. I'm glad that you mentioned that they had a, a shared past because that was evident. Because Denzel Washington, one of the first lines in it, he says to Christopher Walken, he says, "Do you think God will forgive us for what we've done?" And so they don't they don't really explain it or anything, but you just know there's a past between them. They've done something bad together at some point. Um, and then the next scene is Mickey Rourke and Mark Anthony are talking at a restaurant. So I'd just like to talk about Mark Anthony for a minute, if we could. Sure. How did that guy ever get J-Lo? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not really familiar with his body of work. I'm, I, you know, I'm just clicking through now. Like he's, he's more of a singer. He's, than I was an actor. Say, he's a singer. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Jennifer Lopez, he was married to her for a while. Right. And she is one of the most, if not the most beautiful woman on the planet. And he looks like a walking corpse. Yeah, I don't know. Is it just because he's rich? Is that what it is? I don't know. Anyway. No, well, I mean, I got to think that when he married J-Lo, she probably had a pretty pretty sizable bank account as well. So I can't imagine it's it's that's the sole motivator. But yeah. I don't know. People people find singers uh, appealing. Like in for I, this is something that's always baffled me. You see a lot of 
uh, performers and musicians where they're famous for whatever and then like for their singing. And then you see them with like these beautiful partners and you're like, mm-hmm. really? What do you find so attractive? It's like, oh, well, you know, they have this this charisma. They I they have the singing ability. Like, a lot can, of people just yeah, that's they, that is a super turn on for them. So maybe that's as simple as that. I don't know. It, there is some, there is truth to that. I remember when I was in high school, I just wanted to be in a band so bad. So I ended up forming a band in high school uh, with a bunch of other guys. And it was mainly for me because I wanted to meet girls I want, because I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of nerdy, you know? And I mean, girls didn't, you know, didn't really, you know, come to be, you know, like they didn't think anything of me. They thought I was just this nerdy guy. And I mean, it's me, you know, I don't blame them. But, uh, but so I thought being a musician, that's going to, that's going to be my ticket, you know, because I think you're right. You know, these musicians, someone like Keith Richards, get, you know, good looking girls. I mean, look at Keith Richards. He looks like he died 20 years ago and just I doesn't mean, have Keith the good Richards sense to rich. lay down. Yeah, I guess. But think, think about, again, it's easy when someone's got money to sort of look past some of the physical flaws, but, <laughs> sure, but even look at a lot of new and up and coming bands, like, or you, you, you hear about stories of bands when they were, you know, performing in bars every weekend. And it's like, they still had followers and they still had groupies. And it's like, I've never understood that whole thing of people who want to be with someone who's in a band. It's like, well, if that's what does it for you, great, but that's not something that's ever done it for me and not something I've ever really understood. So Denzel goes with Mark Anthony to meet Mark Anthony's wife to see if she will approve of him as a bodyguard yes. for their daughter. Now, I got to ask this because you've seen this a bunch of times. Yep. Maybe it was just me. But in that scene, when Denzel and the wife meet, there's something going on there. It, maybe it's just me, but it seemed to me like like they knew each other from the past or something. It never comes up again. So maybe I'm just out in left field, but I I couldn't help but getting an impression in that scene. There was something going on there. No. Well, if there was, it was never uh, explicitly stated. Nope. I just got the impression that because the, the husband had already said on the way in that they had interviewed a number of other uh, possible contenders earlier in the week. And the wife had basically put her foot down and said, right. no. And I always just read that, read the scene as something about. Uh, the way that Creasy presents himself and answers her questions honestly, flaws and all, uh, that she just appreciates the honesty, uh, is happy that it's an American being a white woman in Mexico. She, she, you know, it, it feels that that sort of camaraderie of uh, of a fellow American. Um, and again, I think I think there's something to be said for someone who's just physically imposing. And and I mean, Denzel Washington, when he wants to be physically imposing, he certainly can be. And I think that it's just supposed to represent that she gets a very good first impression on him and and it's that's all there is i wouldn't read much more into that yeah i don't know like i say it was just me anyway so they they hire him to protect their daughter played by dakota fanning like you mentioned now again maybe it's just me but i got the impression that dakota fanning wasn't mark anthony's daughter i felt that she was she was obviously the daughter of the wife but i felt that she was like from maybe from a previous relationship now, maybe it was just because Dakota Fanning doesn't look Latino at all. Right. Or I, I yeah, I didn't I never got that impression. I just assumed that it was a casting thing. They're like, we need mm-hmm. a young star who has a little bit of recognition because she would have been very young when she still made this movie. Probably didn't have a large resume, but was a name people would have recognized or a face people would have been familiar with at that point. And so I, I think rather than 
extend their casting search to someone who might look the part a little more. They went, this might bring some people into the seats. Let's just cast her. I, I, I never got the impression yeah. that uh, Mark Anthony's character was not her biological father, especially when um, when confronted after she's been kidnapped and, and, the, and the kidnapping and the ransom payoff has gone bad and, and she's mm. been killed. And like he is clearly emotionally distraught, which is not to say that you wouldn't be that emotional if it was an adopted child or a child of your partner. But I, I never doubted for a minute that he was uh, her father, 100 percent biologically and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, she looks like she could be the wife's daughter. No question. Oh, for sure. For but sure. she doesn't look like Mark Anthony could be her dad. Maybe it's, it's just due to the fact that he looks like a walking corpse. Maybe, you know, maybe. And, and I mean, whether it is or whether, whether it isn't, I don't necessarily think that affects the movie uh, either way. Right. Um, and I actually only recently learned that this movie is based on a book. So, again, maybe down the road I'll pick up the book. And if uh, those kinds of questions are, are clarified, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. But OK. So anyway, so the wife, I want to mention a, b- a bit about her. Yes. I didn't recognize the actress. But man, is she beautiful. And so again, I'm thinking, how does Mark Anthony get these beautiful women? I just just kept thinking that. So anyway, so uh, the next scene, Denzel drives Dakota Fanning to school and she notices the scars on his hand. Again, they never get explained. You just assume it's just something, you know, he did something bad in the past or was involved in something. Um, And she tries to make friends with him, but he, he shuns her. And then you think she's going to run away. She gets out of the car and she just goes in the back seat. Um, and then when they go to the, the school, Denzel talks to the headmistress and he knows the passage from the Bible that she quotes. He finishes yeah. the, the quote for her. So so he's a drinker. They establish that. He knows the Bible. Another thing that stood out to me is he wears suits that don't fit him. I, I, I So the suit thing I wanted to talk about. so Because <laughs> it was uh, noticeable to me. Yes. I think <laughs> that's a combination of a couple of things. I think it's a combination of he is past his prime. And so if it's a suit he already owned, it was probably purchased when he was in better shape. He was probably more muscular and he probably carried himself better. Um, so I think that was part of it is it's supposed to represent that it's like he he's slightly diminished from his original uh, stature physically. Uh, or the other thing is it's this is all he could afford given his limited resources and uh, the fact that he he knew he needed to, quote, look professional. But I did notice when I was watching it through this time was he wears the suit and tie at the beginning, um, almost like and I, I think they might even mention it. He, it's like it's a uniform like this is your uniform. You wear a suit and tie. You're the bodyguard. And then as he eventually starts to um, develop the relationship with the young girl and open up to her and start to befriend her. His his dress dress changes and he starts wearing more casual clothing. He wears the you know the loose fitting sort of Hawaiian style shirts and and that kind of thing. But then towards the end of the movie, when he sort of goes back into full on bodyguard revenge mode, he puts a suit back on when he's like quote unquote going to work. And I I thought that was an interesting uh, stylistic choice um, to to have. The clothing as a uniform and you could sort of get a sense of where his mental status is um, based on what he's wearing. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thing that I I noticed while I was watching. Again, you you mentioned the word stylistic, and I think it's important because in the scene when he's talking to the wife about the daughter, there's a mirror behind him. Yes. And the camera focuses on, on her in the mirror. Yes, when she gives her that. lines and then it focuses back on, on him when he speaks again, just a stylistic thing, but it was kind of cool. I don't know. I thought it was yeah. kind of neat. Tarantino does that a lot too, where he, yeah. he'll do shots of a guy in the mirror and yeah, there again, 
some directors can do stuff like that. And it just you, you sort of nod your head and go, that's a cool little thing. Other directors try it and you're like, oh, my God, what are you trying to do? You're punching way above your weight class. Just show me the two faces and have the dialogue scene play out. But mm-hmm. no, again, I, I, this movie to me is definitely one of Tony Scott's best works from a stylistic point of view. I think it really shows that he knows what he's doing. Uh, I think he took a lot of chances with just the way some of this was shot. And I, I think it paid off really well. Um, again, like when he's showing Mexico city, he's got a very muted color palette, like almost like yellow filters over a lot of the shots. Um, and, and it, I think it really works. I think it really adds to the, to the story. It, it, anyway. Yeah. So when, when Denzel yeah. Washington's character drinks, as you mentioned, yes. he, he thinks about killing himself. He keeps a bullet in a matchbox. So he's he tried obviously, to kill himself. They showed yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He's thought about this multiple times, right? He kind of reminded me of Riggs and Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Keeps that bullet. He's he's thought about this more than once, right? Well, but I think the scene where, and I, again, I really paid closer attention to mm-hmm. it this time. The scene where he actually calls Christopher Walken, I, it, from what I got out of that scene, he tried to kill himself there and then that night. And it didn't work. And that's why he calls him because he asks him, like, have you ever had a bullet not fire? And that was sort of the, the the changing point of the movie of the character. Like after he tries to kill himself and and it doesn't work, he starts to really question, well, why didn't this work? And being someone who reads the Bible, he starts to think like maybe there's more for me in this life. Maybe it's not my time to leave. And then right after that, he starts to open up to the little girl and, and offer her this friendship and this guidance and this mentorship. And, um, you know, it, it really, his whole attitudes and perceptions start to change. It's like, that was the wake up call. It's like, I'm going to try and kill myself. It didn't work. Okay. What does that mean? And this is the meaning he got from it. I don't think that this, this bullet is something he's been carrying around for since before that scene. I believe that was the exact scene right there. And then click didn't work. And they move on from there. And then he starts carrying around in the matchbook. Because, mm, yeah, because he mentions that bullets never lie. Uh-huh. You know, he says that too, right? <clears throat> so I want to mention, again, talking about stylistic uh, aspects of the film, the subtitles. So yes. the subtitle font, first of all, <clears throat> is not like any other subtitle font in any other movie. It's right. not a big deal, but it's just something I noticed. Like, yep. also the way the subtitles sometimes wipe on and yep. wipe off the screen. Yep. That's very unique. And it got me thinking, in all the advances in film that we've seen, special effects and camera work and lighting and CGI and all that stuff, there's been basically no changes to subtitles in film over the course of movie history until this movie. Again, it's not a big deal, but it's just something that's kind of stylistic and cool, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I really like that it's not just a static line of text at the bottom of the screen in the middle. Um, it's, it's, it's all over. Sometimes it's on the side. It's in the middle. It's in the corner. And Mm. it's in, in, I mean, in some cases it is the word for word translations as, as subtitles are usually going to be. Um, but in some cases, even some of the words in English are shown in that font almost to give them extra emphasis. And then there are some scenes where, there is Spanish being spoken, but they don't put the subtitles. So it's a real deliberate choice by by the movie, by well, by the director. Which phrases do you show an English translation for or provide subtitles? Um, where on the screen do they go? How big are they? How long do the words stay on? Do you show the whole sentence at once or just certain words as they're being said and which which words fade out more quickly than others? Which Because sometimes they would show like a sentence – 
as it's being spoken. And by the time the end of the sentence was on the screen, the first couple words start fading. And then the last couple words become like bold text as if to emphasize. Again, it's 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 a, a very stylistic movie. And this is one more way that the director has has put his footprint on this movie and said, I am choosing to do this, this stylistic thing in this way. And uh, especially in the, the, you know, the sort of the last half of the movie, once Denzel Washington starts to go after all of these criminals and, and try to interrogate them, um, that's when you really start to see certain certain familiar aspects of the subtitles where certain phrases and certain things are are shown in a way that you're like, OK, this is an important detail and this is what he was looking for. In many cases, he asked the guys like it's clear you're going to be dead here when we're done this. It's just a matter of how much suffering do you have before that happens? And it's like, he gets the answer he wants. We see the subtitles. We, as the audience know, okay, this interrogation's over. And in the next scene, boom, the guy blows up. So it's, uh, it's again, just a stylistic choice mm-hmm. that I think worked really well. And you mentioned in our best directors episode that Tony Scott was your second favorite director yes. of all time. Yes. You know, and I guess for a lot of the reasons that we're seeing here that you're you're saying this is his best film. I agree. That That is my my take. Yes. I think this is his best film. Yeah. It's very, very stylistic. So yep. anyway, so Denzel works with the girl on her swimming. He yep. helps her to get out of the blocks faster. So that's obviously he starts to bond with her. And, and, and well, she, she yes. even catches him smiling in one scene. Yeah. Yeah, they, now, they have some improvised dialogue with each other, it seems. Yes. But it's just yeah. a way for them to bond. Right. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I didn't pick up on until this last viewing was mm-hmm. when they talk about the swimming and getting off the blocks faster. And yes, this is a way for them to spend some time together and he can help her. Is he really emphasizes um, this, the sound of the gunshot? Don't be afraid, which later on in the movie, when there's the kidnapping scene, right. He's able to sort of lean on that. And, and I, I guess I never put that together until this time through, or I'm like, how did I miss something so obvious right. where, you know, he tells her, don't hesitate, don't be afraid of the gun. Um, and so when the kidnapping happens, he's able to just immediately prompt her. And it's like, it's just like the swim meet. She hears the bang, she starts to go. And I thought it was an interesting parallel that, I regret to admit I didn't pick up until this time through. Right. That's when um, when remember she wants to she wants to give up the piano. But Mark, yes. Mark Anthony doesn't let her. And we find out <laughs> later on it's yeah. because she has to go to the piano lessons because yeah. that's where the kidnapping happens. Because we later yes. on we find out he's in on it, right? Yeah, um, not until much later, but yes. Yes. So it makes sense when all you know you look back on it at that point. But um you know, that scene that you mentioned that, that where, where the kidnapping starts to happen, that, you know, the cops come in and the bad guys all come in and she's going to get, you know, abducted and Denzel starts shooting the gun, almost like to trigger her to know, yeah, run, absolutely. get out of the blocks, you know, go, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. And then he gets into this gunfight with the bad guys and he gets shot like a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. And he falls to the ground and you think he's dead. I mean, I actually, yeah. I'm watching, I think, okay, he's dead. Like, he just got the daylight shot out of him. Like he's going to die right here. Pretty rare to kill off your lead character, unless you're Hitchcock and psycho, you know, Uh, but probably even more rare when Denzel Washington's your lead actor. And and I'm thinking since this movie is so long, there's still like an hour and a half left in this movie. I don't think he is dead. Turns out he doesn't die. Uh, He's in the hospital recovering from his, you know, the major gunshot trauma. And I, I like how he's laying there in bed, barely clinging to life. He's on life support in the intensive care unit, and this guy is smoking right beside yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm like, was this movie made in the seventies or something? What was this? Um, but anyway, so Dakota Fanning had bought him the necklace. Yes. With the St. Jude pendant on it. Yes. And she says it's that St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes. Yes. So there's a patron saint of lost causes. There is a patron saint of everything. Do you remember David St. Hubbins in This is Spinal Tap? Mar- Marty DeBerge asked him, who's St. Hubbins? And his answer was he was the patron saint of sensible footwear. There is a patron <laughs> saint of everything, I swear. So it's the patron saint of lost causes, which actually kind of comes into play a bit later, too. Yeah. Right? I, and this is one. I mean, again, I don't religion is not my thing. Biblical scholarship is not my thing. Saints don't really know much about it. But the the saint of lost causes is something I have heard referenced before in pop culture, usually in movies. So, again, didn't didn't phase me at all that this was this was a thing. And I just went, OK, I, again, being a fairly astute movie viewer, I thought right. I got a sense. I know where this is going to go. This is some some foreshadowing, some symbolism. Let, let's see where we go from here. The patron, the patron saint of sensible footwear, really big in the Bible, too. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so it turns out that Denzel Washington kills two police officers in this whole shootout and they were off duty, but they were corrupt cops. Yes. So there's this whole ransom thing going on. And then when they go to do the exchange drop, something goes bad and there's an ambush. One of the kidnappers gets killed. So they don't return the daughter and then they say they're, they're going to kill her. Now, I was thinking at this point, too, so who's Mark Anthony? Like, why would they want to kidnap his daughter? I, I guess they said at the beginning that kidnappings are common in Mexico, so it's just that he's rich, right? And they want to get a ransom. Yes. That, that was kind of the idea. That, that's yeah, that, that's what you're supposed to believe. Is right. He's obviously important enough and wealthy enough that he lives in a big house. He's got gates on the door. He drives a luxury car. He can afford a body. He needs and can afford a bodyguard. He His company has kidnapping ransom insurance uh, I think it was a $10 million policy. Um, so again, they don't go into the, in the specific, and he travels for work cause they talk about him, you know, flying here and flying mm-hmm. there. Clearly he, he has ties to an American business cause he, he, I think he goes to Chicago at one point. Yeah. They leave, they leave the daughter with, with Denzel Washington at one point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I assume there's a, like they, they mentioned that there's a cook and a gardener. So again, I assume mm-hmm. there's a whole staff that would have been there to, to, uh, watch over the daughter. I don't think it was, Hey, Denzel, you're the bodyguard. Now you're the babysitting right. bodyguard. Right. But again, I'm not going to worry again, broad strokes. I'm not going to worry mm-hmm. so much about that. But anyway, yeah, I think, I think it was as simple as that. It's, it's, they set it up to, to let you know that he's wealthy enough that his family could be targeted so that when they are, you're like, okay, well, based on the setup, this makes sense. And then much later in the movie, we realize, well, it was not only does it make sense, it was a deliberate targeting kidnapping where he and the lawyer had planned this out where they were going to ransom the daughter and claim there was an X million dollars of ransom. And then they were going to pay the ransom and keep some of the money themselves. And and because you find out later that the, the husband is financially uh, in debt and he doesn't have any money, he's living well beyond his means and and. You know, on paper, it sounded great. Well, these guys are going to take my daughter, but they're going to treat her well because we're going to pay the millions of dollars and she's going to watch cartoons and eat ice cream. And I'm going to have her back the next day. And yeah, it might be traumatic, but at the end of the day, I make millions of dollars. It's the easiest thing we ever did doing some insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because of all the other problems, everyone else is greedy and everybody wants a piece of this and nobody talks to each other because they're all selfish. And uh, and we believe the daughter has been killed because this ransom went went astray and the kidnappers he says his cousin or his brother or somebody was killed in the shootout. So he's like, well, hey, I'm a businessman, but you killed my family. I'm killing your family. And and again, the first time through it, it makes sense. You don't question like, well, come on, of course, she's not dead. It's like, well, you know, that 
it, it stands to motivate the character. He, he, Denzel Washington mm-hmm. fully believes as does everybody else that the daughter has been, uh, the daughter has been killed because the ransom went bad and he's like, okay, well it's time for some revenge. And, uh, one of the things you had mentioned was during the actual scene where they kidnap her, Denzel's character manages to kill four people. They find out it's, you know, two potential kidnappers and two police officers. And then there's this whole thing about, we find out the police are corrupt. Um, excuse me, but, um, it's when he's in the hospital, the, the doctor even says something to the effect of, if you don't rest and let these wounds heal, you're not going to live through the month. Like these are potentially fatal wounds. And, in my again, in my mind, and I think it's a pretty reasonable interpretation is once he realizes that um, uh, Lupita has been killed, um, he figures, well, she was my motivation for living. Right. Like she was the one who sort of put him back on the straight and narrow. And he's like, the only thing I can do to honor her memory at this point is extract this revenge and and, you know, punish those who who have, you know, had any sort of a hand in her death. And I don't think that he has any belief that he's going to live through that month. I think he fully feels that, you know, this is what I was put here to do. I was here to protect her. I couldn't do that. So this is what I'm here to do now is extract my revenge. And then that's it. My, my story's done. And, uh, through the course of the movie, you see him like his wounds are constantly coming open. You see the scenes of him dipping himself in the pool over and over again to sort of wash away the dry blood. And it's clear that he's not at a hundred percent and these wounds are really taking a toll on him. And even in a later scene, he takes a, another shot to like the chest and it's like, okay, mm. his days are clearly numbered at this point. Um, so at the, you know, to jump ahead a little bit, when at the end they, they talks about, ex- I exchange a life for a life, her life for your life. That's not a hard decision to make at all. He knows he's on borrowed time and doesn't have a long time to live. And if he can get this girl back in exchange for the hours he has left on his life, that's a good trade that he's going to make all day long. So, Mm -hmm. Well, at this point, we learn about La Hermandad, right? This brotherhood of corrupt cops that protect each other. And that's important because it comes back. But I like the scene when, when Denzel goes into Dakota Fanning's room and he reads her diary. And that's when he finds out that she loved him. And, and the yes. mom comes in and she's like, okay, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill all of them. And see, to me, that's where the movie kicks into high gear. I was like, yes. yeah, okay, here we go. And my only thought was, I wish they didn't spend a half an, or an hour and a half to get there. You know, they could have established the whole story in about 30 minutes and then just no, get no, to no. this part. And no, I think, I think they needed it. The buildup to me was necessary. I think you could have trimmed maybe you know, five minutes out. I think all the scenes of him listening to the blue by you and all that, they, they did it more than once. And I, th- I thought, okay, I get it. Um, but I think that, yeah, when it switches over like that, if you, if you're paying attention up until that point, the choice of music and the choice of score has been very deliberate to set a certain mood. And right after that scene where he says to the wife, I'm going to kill them all. The music changes drastically. And from that point forward, mm-hmm. you get the, the hard guitar sound, like more of a rock and roll style sound where up until then you've had blues, you've had country, you've had classical piano. Uh, again, the classical piano 
um, being both the, the, the piano that Lupita is playing when he first comes into the house. And then that seems to be tied whenever they're playing the classical piano, it's tied to scenes with the daughter. And it's not until later in the movie that we start to hear that classical piano again once there's once you realize that daughter's not dead and he may be able to save her. So, again, it's just layers upon layers with this movie. It's, you know, yet an additional stylistic choice by the director to say, like, we're going to emphasize things and, and play with the mood by our musical choices. So. Any case, I, don't know, I, I mentioned at the top that I thought the movie was flawed, and this is where one of the key where parts where I think it's flawed is in how the running length. I just I think it could have been trimmed. So anyway, so he's now he's on a mission, and then he loads up on all these like tons of weapons. He's got handguns and rifles, and like a shotgun and a grenade launcher. And like I mentioned earlier, this this scene really sets up the final act of the film. Oh, yeah. You know, it just I really like that about it. It's very stylistic. It just sets up the next act. Now, the next act goes on too long, but, you know, there's that. So it, it gets going here. Denzel jumps in the car with the guy that was he, the guy that was driving the car with the French flying sticker on it. And remember, he gets him to drive to the edge of town and he strips him down and ties his hands to the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. With duct tape. Oh, and he cuts off his fingers and he yeah. uses the cigarette lighter to stop the bleeding. Yeah. Oh, and it's, then it's. Yeah, you know, this this reminded me of um, so you had said in our director's podcast, we were talking about Tarantino and the glorification of violence. And mm-hmm. you were saying what people think they remember about his movies is not always what actually happened. And I noticed that with this movie a lot, too. Some of the acts of of violence and the acts of, um, you know, torture and such, like when he's cutting off that guy's finger, you don't actually see him cut off the finger or nope. cauterize the wound. No, nope. you see the blood splash. Yeah. Uh, so on the, on the, on the windshield. Yep. Yeah. And I think on the side of his face or something. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's a, a very, uh, stylistic choice by the director. I'm not going to literally show him cutting off the finger. You know, what's happening off screen and what your mind is imagining is probably, way more uh, effective than any prosthetic finger I can show on screen being cut off. And, and that continues to happen through this movie where he's doing certain things to certain people, especially when he's trying to interrogate them for information. There's a lot of scenes where the, uh, uh, you know, the actual violent act is not shown on camera. You get a reaction. You, you know, you watch someone's face react to it as opposed to the scene showing you what happens. I thought that Denzel Washington's character had a couple of really good lines in the last act of the film. And the first one he says right around this part, he says, revenge is a meal best served cold. Now I'm pretty sure that's an old Klingon proverb, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's, that's what, what that's what Ricardo Montalban said in Wrath of Khan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, uh, I thought that was funny. I thought it took me back to the, the Wrath of Khan there. Um, so then anyway, so then he continues his rampage. He goes to the rave. And the yeah. way that that whole scene is shot, it's just like a strobe light. Oh, yeah. Again, really stylistic. He kills a guy from New Jersey up in the, uh, the catwalk. And then the woman says, she's like, I'll get you the girl. But it's not Dakota Fanning. Right? No. And, and and that's the first time when you're like, oh, my God, she's not dead. Yeah, and yeah, like, she's oh, alive. Of course, it's not her. She's dead. So a couple of times they sort of tease what's really coming and then tease it back again. It's like, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's a Latino girl, right? But he gets her to safety. He calls a reporter and then he helps, you know, to get the girl back home. And then he shoots the rave up and he blows up the building. And the, the whole time the crowd just cheers like it's all part of the rave or something like that. I thought that yeah. was funny, even when he's shooting the, the rifle up in the air. But um, he goes after Fuentes, the dirty cop. And another one of his great lines, because the reporter says, 
he's better protected. That guy is better protected than the president of Mexico. And Denzel says, he's going to need it. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is cool. I like this. And then um, another line that's good is when what Christopher Walken's character says, a man can be an artist with anything with food or paint. Oh yeah. But Denzel is an artist with death. He's yep. going to, he's going to paint his masterpiece. Yep. You know, and again, for me, it just, it sets up the events to come perfectly. Right. But then the film just runs too long after that. Again, the, the, the fatal flaw of this movie, it just, it's too damn long. And, and, and for me, it plods along at some points when it should just cut to the chase, just give retribution to the bad guys and then end it. But it just keeps on going and going and going. Right. Well, I, so I agree and I disagree with with what you're saying. I do think that and I, I definitely felt this when I just watched it last week was I think the last 20, 25 minutes does run a lot longer than it needs to. I think that that could probably you could trim 10 minutes out of that. No problem. Um, I don't necessarily think the beginning part could could benefit from a lot of trimming because I think you need to really be emotionally invested in in both Denzel Washington's character and um, uh, Dakota Fanning's character so that you as the audience have a similar emotional reaction when she's kidnapped. And then when you find out she's been killed. But um, I do agree that the, I think that there's the, the end of it, especially I found it's really felt like it was dragging on dragging. It could have just been that, okay, I'm already two plus hours into this and I had 20 more minutes to go. And I'm thinking, really, really like, what do you still have to do? But on the other side of it, I think you needed to show them going through all those layers of of middle middlemen because it demonstrated just how involved this corruption was. It wasn't just one guy uh, running the show and another guy, you know, doing the kidnapping. It was people like the police and this this mid level guy in the rave who would take care of the uh, take care of the the kidnapped children and it was the 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 guy who was the interpool guy like it's it was this tangled web of all these people um and you know frankly i thought it was quite entertaining when you when you saw how he learned where to go next and then what he did in order to get the information he wanted um with no doubt whatsoever that you know these people are they're gonna get killed he already said he's gonna kill them all so you know when the guy had his fingers taped to the steering wheel like I had no no doubt he was going to get killed when the the Interpol guy, he has him strapped to the hood of the car and he's got the timer up his butt and he's like, you got five minutes. It's like there's no way he's pulling back on this one. Like this guy's dead. Um, so anyway, yeah, definitely the masterpiece. Right. Now, you mentioned that um, Dakota Fanning's character kind of taught him how to live again. Right. And I and I got that as well, obviously. So he's got a he's got a purpose. Right. And he wants yes. to exact retribution on the bad guys. And it reminded me of Taxi Driver. In a lot of ways, because in Taxi Driver, he got this loner who sees all this crime and corruption around him. And so his way of cleaning up the mess of the world is to exact retribution on Jodie Foster's pimp. Right. And so here, Denzel, he wants to clean up crime and corruption by killing these kidnappers. And really, it's just a lost cause. Well, I don't think he's trying to clean it up. I think he's it's it's a more it's a straighter line. It's simply these are the people that were the key players in this happening. I'm killing them. And if it creates a power vacuum and somebody new steps in, well, then that's what's going to be. But if it also exposes them and possibly in, implements change, then that's good, too. But I don't think his mindset is 
is expanded to the point where he's looking at any of these broader implications. I don't think he's doing this like I'm a social justice guy and I'm doing it to implement change I think because there's... this is bad. I think it's just straight up. I'm going to the people who are the decision makers in this because if they they were all involved, like I think it's that black and white. That's the linear story. But I think there's a subte- subtext there because if you go back to the beginning, remember, he was driving around looking at all the prostitution and the crime and everything and just looking at it all disgusted. I think there might be a bigger. That's what I got out of it. But okay, like, well, but like, I keep that in mind yeah. the next time I watch it. Right? And, and, and at this and at this point, then I realize like that's like a, like I mentioned, it's just a, that's, that's a lost cause. Which just yeah. goes back to that patron saint of lost causes that he had. That's true. That's he'd, have, he'd have been better off with the patron saint of sensible footwear anyway. But anyway, <laughs> um, but then another great line he has is when he says, forgiveness is between them and God. It's up to yeah. me to arrange the meeting. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. Again, lots of good lines from him. Uh, yeah. So Fuentes is the guy that's like so well protected, more well protected than the president, right? He drives by in this huge motorcade with his entourage. How do you possibly reach this guy? With a rocket launcher. <laughs> so he yeah. pulls out a rocket launcher. And, and, like that's pretty cool. And overall, like with all the action and stuff that goes on in the in in this in the the last act, really, it it's still more of a psychological action film. And oh, I, yeah. And I guess that's why they cast Denzel Washington in it, right? Because he's known for his acting chops. Yeah. You know, but like yeah. you mentioned, he, he puts the explosive up the guy's butt and gives him five minutes to tell him what happened at the, the kidnapping drop. Yeah. And I thought, again, stylistically cool. The time appears on the screen. Yeah. And starts going like, down. Like the subtitles did. And, and he keeps referencing the time that's yeah. left. And, you know, he's right because the time's ticking down in front of you and he keeps getting it. So, again, I thought it was cool only because the scene is edited. It's not just one long shot. So right. again, just an, another example of something that was kind of cool and stylistic, you know, in, oh, this, yeah. in this movie. And then, uh, then the the bum bomb goes off, so to speak, and yep. uh, and he finds out Mickey Rourke is involved. This is when you start to find, okay, what is what's going on? Now, help explain to me. He goes to Mickey Rourke's house, and there's a headless body floating in the pool. I'm yeah, not really sure what happened there. What did I miss? So that was so the body in the pool was Calphus, the lawyer, Mickey Rourke. And there was a you see a bloody katana sword in the in the house. So somebody has used this blade that was probably in the house as a weapon of opportunity Mm -hmm. to kill the lawyer. And then when he goes uh, when Denzel Washington goes back to um, to uh, Mark Anthony's house and confronts him and asks him, like, were you involved? Like he asked the wife, were you involved? And the wife's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then when he confronts Mark Anthony's character, he says, like, I know you were involved for sure. Uh, Mark Anthony says, he goes, the lawyer screwed me. It was the lawyer's fault. And he's like, and I went over to the lawyer's house and I took care of it and he's dead. I took, I took care of it. I did what I had to do. Uh, you know, uh, obviously it was a, a small thing, but well, not a small thing. The guy who was right. killed, but right. you know, so you a small that. thing in okay. the greater picture. And then Denzel Washington was sort of like, well, that's all well and good, but you still have to pay. And, and then he gives him the bullet, right? He's like, he gives him the gun with the one bullet. And it's like, you know, you here's a way out. It didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And then you see him leave the room. Uh, and then as Denzel's sort of out of the room uh, t- towards like the front hallway of the house, you see him stop. Like it's like he's waiting because he doesn't know if the bullet's going to work either. Right. Like maybe it's just the bullet itself is is a dud, in which case that might change his perspective on what to do next. And then you see him noticeably stop. 
there's a pause for a second and then he hears the gunshot go off and then he just continues watch walk walking away. So again, it was the bullet obviously worked because the bullet obviously worked. The, yeah, the, so. Mark Anthony, the walking corpse, becomes a real corpse at that point. Yeah. yeah. And I think and again, I think this really um uh, solidifies uh Creasy's belief that it when he tried to kill himself. It wasn't his time. Uh, you know, you see that he's a man uh, who reads the Bible, who has faith, who believes in God. So I, I always assume that in his mind, it's God has a plan for me and I have a, I have a purpose that I haven't fulfilled yet. And hearing the, the gun go off, hearing that bullet actually work, I always got that as, you know, that was the confirmation he needed that what he was doing was right. Not that I don't think it would have changed what he was doing, but I think in his mind, it, it sort of gave him that, that, um, confirmation that, you know, people uh, often have with faith. It's, well, I can believe unconditionally, but if I, if I can see a sign that I, I believe that, you know, my faith is, is true, then that, that solidifies your beliefs that much more. And that, that was what I always got out of that scene. Mm -hmm. It was interesting then when he leaves the house and you see Dakota Fanning is across the street, sitting on a bench, watching him as if she's watching him like from beyond the grave. She's, yeah. It's just an illusion, right? And yeah. anyway, so they get a photo of this guy called The Voice, and they put it in the newspaper. So now Denzel knows what he looks like. He goes to his brother's house, takes him. Again, this is all, like, way too long at this point. I, yeah, I thought, at this point, you know, it's, like, it's too much. And and the one thing I noticed, when he goes to, to get the brother of this, like, super kingpin gangster, for a guy whose brother is the biggest gangster in the Latin American world, apparently— Man, the guy lets his brother live in abject poverty. Like, it was just like a poor house. Like, what? He doesn't take care of his brother. But uh, anyway, so Denzel gets the the voice on the phone, and that's when he finds out Dakota Fanning is alive, right? Yes. And he sets up a trade. But the key part here is because the voice says he will trade her, but not just for his brother's life, but his brother's life and Denzel Washington's life yes. as well, right? Yeah. And then did you notice he drives the Starsky and Hutch car? Uh, is, was it the same kind? I yeah. Did, it's like again, a 76 a grand, uh, grand Torino. I knew it was old. All yeah, the cars. Yeah. I noticed that all the taxis were uh, old beetle punch buggies. Uh, that made me laugh because my wife and I play that punch buggy game whenever a VW beetle drives by and you punch someone in the arm. And I, was, I, I thought when I was watching this, I thought, Ooh, I'm glad my wife's not watching this yeah. with me. We both have sore arms, but into this There's a lot <laughs> nice. of punch buggies. Nice. Uh, so then the, the end of the movie disappointed me a little bit. He, he dies from his gunshot wound or the voice is going to kill him shortly after whatever happens. I, I expected him to go out in a blaze of glory, like to go across that bridge and just get like shot up like uh, like Willem Dafoe did at the end of Platoon, you know, or something like that. Or Sonny Corleone. Yeah, I expected something big. And I no, feel like I, I feel I, like I was let down a little bit. By the no, end. I like I like that because I think that most people expected that. And I think that the choice to not do it that way um again, was was in keeping with sort of a lot of the stylistic elements of the movie. I also think it was a reflection on the fact that what did the bad guys constantly keep saying? I'm a professional. I'm a professional. Right. And and one of the things that that they were that he, the, the, the voice, the bad guy would say on the phones is I'm a professional. If you keep your word and you keep your end of the bargain, I will keep my end of the bargain. And I think that was, again, a reflection of the fact that up until that point, they had made an arrangement. The arrangement had been kept. And, you know, I mean, had Denzel Washington's character lived, there's no doubt he would have been tortured and executed. Like there's no, there's no doubt that oh, would yeah. have happened. Yeah. But 
it was it in, from my mind, it was clear that that wasn't going to happen on that bridge. The exchange was the exchange. And then once the exchange was completed, Denzel would be brought to a different location where, you know, now the deals, the, the, the deal has been completed. No holds barred. We're going to just do what we're going to do. Uh, and then, of course, Denzel knowing that he does not have long to live, like when when the wife shows up um, and he's sitting in the car under the tree, you can see like his, the blood's trickling down his arm mm-hmm. and he looks like he can barely stand. Like even when he he's walking, like he's he's really staggering. It's belabored like he's taken a couple of shots to the chest. So it's clear that he probably has a hard time breathing. It's probably has a hard time, you know, his heart's working overtime to, to pump the blood through this damaged body. Again, there was no hesitation of the exchange of a life for a life. He knew his life was over. Um, and then I, I liked very much liked how, you know, the fact that he didn't get shot up on the bridge, they didn't just execute him there in the, in the field. They put him in the car and they're like, we're going to bring you to the voice. And it was almost like at that point he felt, okay, I don't have to hold on anymore. Um, Dakota Fanning's character has been returned to her mother. Uh, you know, the scene where she comes out onto the bridge and uh, and she hugs him and it's like, oh, my God, every time I watch that scene, I just cry my eyes out. It's like you've been on this two hour thrill ride with these characters where you thought this character was dead. Now she's alive. And it's just like it's so emotional. I cry every single time. And then Creasy walks to the car and it's like he knows that she's safe and you see him holding the the medallion. And then it's like as as his life force leaves his body and then he he his hand relaxes and the, the medallion drops and, you know, he's dead. He's done. He's yeah. He's and, completed and, everything that he needed to do. It's over. And just to, to your point about that being an emotional scene. You know, I agree because when I watch it, I thought, wow, but I, I think it was it was less about the impact of the whole story coming to that moment than it was for me, at least about the uh, the talent of the two actors. Oh, for sure. That were on for that sure. were in that scene. I mean, Dakota Fanning, she's a really good. She, I don't know how old she was in this, but she's a pretty good actress for a kid. Like, wow. And then yep. you got Denzel Washington, you know, this Oscar winner. It was like both of them are such talented actors that that, that they we're able to pull a lot of emotion out of that scene, even more so than, than the story itself. So I, I agree with you. That was a pretty emotional scene. It was really good. And obviously, like you mentioned, he does die because they put the dates of his death and stuff at the screen at the end. And then when the voice dies, yes. and I was thinking, what, is this a true story? Like based on a true story, or is it just, just no. a show resolution of the story? I guess yes, it gives that, that impression, yeah. you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, but, I, and then I like when it cuts to the, to the scene where the inner where the, the the cop that's been helpful, you see them, you see him kill the voice, and then the the thing says, uh, killed during a raid. And it's like, it wasn't killed during a raid. He was friggin' executed, outright, cold-blooded murdered execution. I think it was, I think um, they even said it was he was killed during a routine arrest or something yeah, like that. Or something yeah, like yeah. That. It's You're like, right. but again, no. it, it ties up that loose end and, right. and it's that part of the story that as the viewer, you're sort of going, Well, the pieces are all there. But is this going to happen? And so that is definitely part of the satisfying ending. And I like when they have the 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 date of birth, date of death thing go across right, and right. then it fades away. But the date of death stays the same. And you're like, why is that still on the screen? And then it cuts to the next scene. And it's like, so the same day he died, they executed this warrant. They went in they and then they literally executed the bad guys. So it's mm-hmm. like they both died on the same day. Like it all got wrapped up at once. So overall, like I say, maybe a bit of a surprise, but I actually enjoyed the film. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, 
As Sur- are you surprised? Here, give me, give me. Uh, I, I am. Well, I mean, I'm surprised, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I felt there was, they felt there was enough here that I know the kinds of things that you like from a movie, regardless of what else. Like, it's got the strong performances. It's got a lot of stylistic and interesting directorial choices, which, mm-hmm. as a film guy, I know you can appreciate. So, you know, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Now, what what would you give this on a scale of one to ten? I would give it a seven. I would go higher, but it's just it's too long. And it needs to be okay. trimmed up. Need to be edited. I, I'll take it. Shorter, sure. shorter, I would have gone higher, but I'd give it a seven out of ten. I would say for me, it's probably uh, eight and a half. I, okay. I really enjoy it. Mm. Um, it is definitely long, as you said, and I think there's certainly an opportunity that maybe you could have cut ten or fifteen minutes out. It might have tr- might have tightened it up, especially towards the end. I think you could have tightened that up a bit. But who am I to question? The great Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. And speaking of long, I mean, it, it took us a long time to get through this. You know, it's such a long movie. It took us a long time yeah. to talk about it. So anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, my friend, Man on Fire. So the major plot point in this movie is about kidnapping. So yes. there have been lots of movies about kidnapping, you know, as part of the plot. So this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quiz you about movies that have kidnapping. As part of the plot. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis. You name the movie. Common oh thread. Boy. All the movies have to do with <sighs> kidnapping. It's actually a lot easier than you think. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and a little, quite a few of them are right in your, your time frame. You okay. Know? Okay. 1996. Multi-millionaire Tom Mullen decides to take matters into his own hands after his beloved son is kidnapped. Uh, is that Mel Gibson in Ransom? It is Mel Gibson and Ransom. See, I told you you're going to do good yeah. at this one. Okay? I saw that one in the theater. All right. Also, 1996, Jerry Lindegaard's inept crime falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and the persistent police work of the quite pregnant Marge Gunderson. Oh, um, that was uh, that was Fargo. Very good. Yes, it was. See, so I you said you Gunderson. I'm like, oh, I know that name. It's from, it's from. And then the pregnant. I was like, yes, Bart. Yeah. Night, also 1996. A better year for kidnapping films, apparently. An evil high fashion designer plots to steal Dalmatian puppies in order to make an extravagant fur coat, but instead creates an extravagant mess. Uh, was this the uh, the live action uh, Glenn Close 101 Dalmatians? See, I told you you'd do well on this. Yeah. It's very, very good. Okay, 2008, right in your wheelhouse. A retired CIA agent travels across Europe and relies on his old skills to save his estranged daughter who's been kidnapped while on a trip to Paris. Is this uh, the man with a particular set of skills in Taken? It is Taken. See, you're doing so good. Nice. All right, going back a little bit, back into my, my era. 1985, a retired special forces colonel tries to save his daughter, who was abducted by his former subordinate. Oh, um, I think this was a Schwarzenegger movie. I want to say, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's with Alyssa Milano plays a daughter. It was... Yes, um, yes you are correct. Oh, it was... Commando! Yes! It yes! is Commando. I, was like, I could good. see the yep. cover of Alyssa the box. Milano. I was yep. like, oh, okay. All right, another easy one. 1991. A young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. Yeah, that was Silence of the Lambs. 
Sure was. Okay. See, I told you to get these. It's kidnapping, but it's not that easy. I didn't think I would have a very uh, deep database of these movies, mm. but uh, I'm yeah. surprised how yeah. quickly some of them are coming to me. 1990. After a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Uh, was this uh, misery? See, you're doing just great. I'm your number one fan. Yeah, you're doing great. All right. A couple of tougher ones, maybe. All right. All right. 1968. Going way back. A down-on-his-luck inventor turns a broken-down Grand Prix car into a fancy vehicle for his children, and they go off on a magical fantasy adventure to save their grandfather in a far-off land. Wow. That does not sound familiar at all. I have no idea. It's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Isn't that a musical? Isn't that a kid's movie? Yeah, it was. It was. It's about kidnapping? Yep. yep. Wow. Okay. Okay. I've never seen it, so. Again, with the 1996 banner year for kidnapping in film. Two criminals and their hostages unknowingly seek temporary refuge in a truck stop populated by vampires with chaotic results. Yeah, we talked about this in a show a couple weeks ago. This Mm -hmm. is from Dusk Till Dawn. It is. I like that movie a lot. I really I haven't seen it since 1996. I just I remember it was like two movies. The first half's the kidnapping, the second half's the vampires. And I really enjoyed the first half. And I really thought the second half was over the top to the point where I didn't want to watch it again. I think I just like the fact that it was so original that that it went to two movies. So all right. 1991, when Captain James Hook kidnaps his children, an adult Peter Pan must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. Uh, this was the one with Robin Williams as Peter Pan, right? It was, um, damn, what was it called? Wasn't it just called Hook? It was you called Hook. Hook. Yes. Congratulations. Nice. All right. 19, I, I 1977. Oh, this makes me happy. Two, two mice of the Rescue Aid Society search for a little girl kidnapped by unscrupulous treasure hunters. Oh, was this, um... There were two movies with the, was this the rescuers or the rescuers down under? We're going to go with the rescuers. It was the rescuers. Yes. I actually showed this movie to my kids not that long ago and they loved it. They thought it was just great. All right. 1987. When a childless couple of an ex-con and an ex-cop decide to help themselves to one of another family's quintuplets, their lives become more complicated than they anticipated. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's underrated big time. Uh, Raising Arizona. That is correct. All right. The last one. This movie I actually saw uh, on a flight from San Francisco to Toronto one time. It was a long movie, but it was actually fantastic. And it's it's a newer movie. This is 2013. Okay. Wow. Okay. 2013. So it's not something I normally watch, but I watched no this kidding. on the plane and I really okay. enjoyed it. it I'll be good. shocked if it's something I haven't seen and you have from 2013. But anyway, okay. Give me the clue. Let's see what it is. When Keller Dover's daughter and her friend go missing, he takes batters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts. 
that doesn't sound it sort of sounds like every movie on the list and not specific enough to be mm-hmm. any movie on the list. I had to leave you with a tough one. Can you give me the clue one more time? When Keller Dover's daughter and her friend go missing, he takes matters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts. No idea. It's called Prisoners. Have you ever seen it? Um, I, is it got Jake Gyllenhaal in it? Yes, he's the cop. And um, Hugh Jackman's in it, too. It's fantastic. God, it's a good movie. I, I remember seeing it like right when it was released on video. And it's not that I didn't like it, but I, re- I just remember it being really... Um, I don't know. Just it didn't sit well with me, but it's it has won a ton of acclaim. So I may mm. have to revisit that one. It's quite good. It's quite good. Yeah. So anyway, so you did pretty good. So you, yeah, you got most two. Of that was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, not bad at all. So 1996. Didn't realize that was a big. Uh, That's the banner year. Yeah, look at that. You <laughs> kidnapping was a real happened. thing. In you gotta wonder what happened in 94, 95. That by 96 they were pumping out all these movies about kidnapping. I don't know all those uh, independent films that came out. You know, so, I guess. Yeah, go figure. Uh, so I tell you what, it's the middle of summer. What do you say? Where? What do you say we take a little vacation? Hey, I love a vacation. Next week, why don't we just take a little bit of time off? Uh, let's go spend some time with our families. And instead of a regular episode next week, what we'll do is we'll drop a the, the best of number two. You know, we, right. we, we put out the best of number one that had our, our first four uh, trivia segments. So we'll drop a best of next week, and then we'll come back in two weeks' time with a new episode on The Big Show. I love it. Let's do that. Let's Sounds let's good. take a little time off to relax, and uh, we'll come back fresh with a, a new topic. I that's love what, it. That's what we will do then. I hope you enjoy your time off. Are going to do anything special? Uh, yeah, I'm going to travel the world on a mm-hmm. cruise ship. And, <laughs> and No, of course, I'm not doing anything special. I'm going to be stuck at home. What we're, else could I do? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. No. Staying home, exactly. But I got some time off, so I'm going to enjoy it. Go, go up to the trailer with the kids. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we'll do next time. If you want to reach out to us in the meantime, you can find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. Of course, you'll find me at C McBride. And popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Until our next show, this is Chris McBride for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.